0: It's the Stinking Truth podcast with Mark Schlert,
1: presented by Sweet Sweat. Hey, welcome in to Stinking Truth podcast. Mark Schlereth alongside Mike Evans, Scott the hub, producer Millennial Ben helping us out as well. Got a great show planned for you today. By the way, thanks to our presenting sponsor, the great folks over at Sweet Sweat. And I tell you what, we're going to do question mark again today. So, get your questions. Well, you can't get your questions in because I'm recording this. <laughs> <laughs> you idiot. But get your questions in the next time for a chance to win a $75 gift bag full of great stuff and things I've been using, like the uh, the exercise bands and the waistband trimmers and all the different supplements they have over there at Sweet Sweat. SweetSweat.com to find out more information about the great folks over there at Sweet Sweat that sponsor this show. Mike, how are you, buddy? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Um, still
0: kind of riding the wave of what what turned out to be a a much better more entertaining than expected match there between Tiger Woods Peyton Manning Phil Mickelson and 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 Tom Brady Mm -hmm. what did what were your takeaways from watching
1: Manning and Brady oh you know what I absolutely loved uh like watching them struggle (laughs) I don't know I I don't know if that says something bad about me or what but you know I know how hard golf is right and To watch them struggle off the tee, to watch them kind of quote-unquote out of their element and to struggle off the tee. Now, you know, they made some great second shots. Peyton Manning made a couple of great second shots, a great approach shots, and a couple of those things. But to watch them struggle in that venue, knowing how competitive those guys are, what great athletes they are, what great quarterbacks they were, uh, golf is an entire – just an entirely different – you know, it's just an entirely different sport it's so crazy one of the things you know one of my little takeaways was you know and and i like to you know i like to to think that you know i'm funny but um you know sometimes i just piss people off but one of my little takeaways was celebrating little victories and as i watched that you know i spent so much time over memorial weekend uh in my yard doing some landscaping i was spreading mulch taking the old mulch out putting new mulch in and and you know, cutting the lawn and just doing a bunch of just doing a bunch of yard work and and I was like, hey man, five hours of yard work. You know, this is what I learned about you know that if I spend five hours in my yard and they spend five hours on the golf course, uh, my yard is going to look better than their scorecard. Like that's a little victory to me. I'm better at yard work than they are at golf. Now I would probably crap down my leg if I was in that same situation playing golf in you know with the cameras on you in that in that venue. Um, I think it would be absolutely nerve-wracking. One of the other takeaways for me, Mike, was I was fascinated watching and listening to Phil Mickelson, like the level and the depth of knowledge of the way the grass is running and the grain of the grass and what the water does sitting on the grass and – um, he made this chip shot, and he explained, "Look how it's darker over there. That means the grain is port, you know, toward me. But I, I normally I would try to hit it on the green, but I'm gonna drop it a couple, you know, feet short of the green because the grass is not gonna bite it. It's gonna slide right over the top of the grass, and it's gonna roll up, you know." And he explained the whole shot, the whole process, all the different intricacies that I would have never even thought of. Before I hit a golf ball, and um, he executes it perfectly, and the thing rolls up to about you know eight inches away or a foot away. It was it was fascinating to me to watch the depth of knowledge he has of his sport, the expertise he has, and he was just watching him. He was a lot of fun.
0: It was it was a lot of fun to watch um, Peyton. Th- this is an event that's made for Peyton, you know the right. the wisecracks and all that kind of stuff. I don't know if it's so much made for Brady. Uh, I don't know if Brady. Maybe it's because he's been so buttoned down for twenty years with the Patriots that uh-huh. it's not necessarily an environment in which he's just going to come out and all of a sudden you know start you know cracking jokes and everything like that. Although although once he made that shot and he holed out from the fairway, it's like a giant weight was lifted and all of a sudden he started to chirp because he'd been really quiet up until that point. But I think you're starting to kind of see Brady freed from the shackles of the the Patriot way. Being much more visible on social media, uh, putting himself out there doing something like like this—all things that if he was still a patriot, I'm not so sure we'd be seeing this kind of stuff.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I don't know either. I thought I thought it, that part was fascinating. I thought uh, you know the fact that he ripped his pants during the, the course of the uh, uh, of the event was funny to me as well. I mean, it just was. Yeah, it's a, a completely different venue, and you're right about Peyton. His ability to be quippy, and, and same with Phil. And then you've got Tiger, who is – you know, Tiger is, is – like, I think that's probably just who he is. I thought Charles Barkley's description of Phil Mickelson was so apropos. And, and he basically said, you know, everybody's got that annoying friend that you ask him for – you know, you ask him a question, and he gives you, uh, you know, a 10-minute dissertation on the history of whatever, like – like that's Phil Mickelson, but I appreciate that about Phil. I, I just thought I thought the whole thing was cool. I mean, I you know it got me obviously. I think everybody thinking like who'd you like to see in the next one? And, and, and let's just limit it to NFL guys. Is there cur- any current players that you would like to see in that format?
0: Wow, that's a good one. So you think you you, you think of some of the more personable charismatic players out there that would be good in that kind of environment? Well, I think J.J. Watt would. Uh-huh. I think J.J. Watt would be pretty good at that. I think Aaron Rodgers uh, could be you know, more of the dry, just really dry, witty-type stuff, uh, digs, those kind of things. Um, those are a couple that come to mind. How about you?
1: Uh, well, I, I mean, I've got the winner. You... Right off the top of my head, i got the winner. I mean, I asked the question without anybody in mind, and instantly I got the winner in my—Philip Rivers— Oh yeah! I mean, yeah, Philip Rivers yeah. just cannot wait to talk smack. That's what he. I mean, that's what he does, and he doesn't curse. He just is. Uh, he. You talk about annoying. That guy is totally annoying. So he would be. He would be phenomenal to have out there doing those things. I don't know who else. Like, uh, oh, Larry Fitzgerald. Larry's a great. Fitz is a great golfer. Larry Fitzgerald. I don't know. But it's
0: gotta be it's gotta He's, be superstars who are who have who have personality, charisma. Um I mean, you know, Brady and Manning were were perfect. Yeah. But I don't you know, who behind them, who's the Brady, who are the next Brady man Mahomes? Right. I bet you Mahomes would be fun. Yeah, Mahomes. I'd would, love to see Mahomes out Mahomes,
1: there. Mahomes Mahomes definitely. I mean, come would on, are fun. we
0: talking about Pat is Patrick Mahomes now the new face of the NFL? I know Brady's still fascinating especially now because he's going to Tampa but
1: come on is is Patrick Mahomes a new face of the NFL yeah I mean the NFL MVP from what 2018 the Super Bowl champion for 2019 yeah no question about it I mean I mean he is um he like he is a, the unicorn I mean that guy is he's a phenomenal player um and, and they've got a they've got a great football team and he ain't going anywhere I mean that dude that dude is going to dominate this league very much you know well differently but very much the way very much in the way that that Tom Brady has dominated this league but very differently you know with dynamic and with with charismatic type of plays and dynamic nature like I think sometimes when you have a guy that's that gifted athletically. <laughs> You know, and you see, you know, you see the sidearm stuff. You see the no-look passes. You see the left-hand switch. You see him scrambling around making people miss and still finding a way to, you know, chuck it 40 yards down the field. You see the Super Bowl on third down and 15 when all hope is lost and he chucks one over to Tyreek Hill for a first down. I mean, you you see that. What, what gets lost is his ability above the neck to understand what's going on. Like the subtleties of the quarterback like position, like him looking off safeties, him misdirecting people, all the different things that he does, like he is a student. He has got great football acumen. Um and I think sometimes it's like it's easy to see that stuff with Brady or with Peyton Manning or with guys that aren't as gifted athletically. I think sometimes it's harder to see with guys like a Patrick Mahomes because you you just see the enormous talent right you see the gift um but that guy really has a a like an incredible depth of football knowledge um and he's not going anywhere anytime soon the, he, the guy is absolutely incredible
0: you know you speak you know you talk about Mahomes we could make this whole podcast about Mahomes mm-hmm. and and <laughs> certain tangents of Mahomes but when they were talking about this New onside kick proposal: the fourth and fifteen. Andy Reid kind of joked about it and said, hey, "I, you know, I, I got a guy who doesn't worry about third and fifteen in the Super Bowl. You think right. you think I'm, he's going to worry about fourth and fifteen in that kind of situation?" So, uh, I, I kind of like the idea of the onside kick proposal. The only thing I don't like about it is that the loophole is is that teams have the chance to use it twice during a game. So, in in theory. Um, you know, they they you could have just come off a drive in which you know you're rolling offensively, and you just put together a long drive that totally gassed the opposing defense. And you may think, hey, we're we're so confident right now, we've got you know we got a two touchdown lead, we got a ten point lead. Let's really go for it. Let's try to put this game out of reach and turn right around and say, hey, we want to tra- take the fourth and fifteen option. Um. In in, in the second quarter, for example, or early in the third. see see, That, to me, I don't like. I like the idea as an alternative only to the onside kick. If it's only for the onside kick, then I I welcome the idea. Because the the onside kick has gotten
1: boring. It really has. See, like, I am... I think this idea is insanely stupid what? it's it's a preposterous idea preposterous yeah wow. F- for you F- to go for you to go preposterous I mean that's uh, I preposterous mean, in in what in what world in what world do you just get to go, hey guys, timeout we get the, we get the ball on offense again we, like we we just scored a touchdown and instead of kicking the ball off to you, right? For you to have your chance with it, or trying to trick you and create a onside kick and trying to create a scramble and a turnover, what we do is we just get to snap the ball offensively one more time. That, was, that to me is the equivalent of going, hey man, we just had a really big inning in baseball and we just got the third out, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go on offense again, and we're going to continue our at-bats. Oh, come because on. Because we really feel come good on. about it. Come like, on. Or, a or, hey, hey, we're down in the ninth inning. We're not only going to bat in the top of the ninth, but we're going to bat in the bottom of the ninth too because we're down. Like It's like where in the
0: world does that ever happen? Stink, God, oh, you got to dial back the hyperbole. Come on, the NFL – for, for, for however long it's been around. How long has the onside kick been around? It's not like it's a foreign concept. Since the but, start of time Okay, since the start of time then there's been a play in football where you can signal your intent to do exactly what you just said. We just scored, we just had the ball, and we want it back again right away. And we're gonna yeah. and we're gonna, and and, we're and gonna you know go what? we're gonna go for that by doing an onside kick. So how is this really that how is how is this
1: fourth and 15 thing that that crazy Uh, it's it's crazy because there's a difference between kicking it off with a seven percent chance of getting the ball back like you're kicking it off so you have to make a play you've got to execute a kick you got to find a way to get the ball when the offensive team is scrambling to get it and then if you get it then you get the off not just oh hey guys time out we're gonna get the ball again on fourth and 15. I I I I mean, that is the most. Hey, I've well, got wait a minute.
0: Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. And I'll let you, I'll let you go. Okay. But you're saying, well, it's only a 7% chance, and you got to do all these things. you got to execute and kick off and go right. down and recover, all for just a 7% success rate. What do you think the success rate is for teams going forward on 4th and 15? Probably not good. But right. It, but you're getting the ball you're offensively you're getting the ball you're just getting the ball you don't even have to fight for the ball you don't have to create a turnover yeah, but then, you're just but you have to do it. but you have to do all these things to still convert on what is an incredibly low percentage play with the understanding that if you don't the other team takes over at your 25 ball game over yeah i, I
1: I get that part of it. Like, hey, you want to you want to make it tough? Like, if, if you want to increase the chances of getting the the onside kick, I got an idea. Um, and it's no it's no more stupid than the one of fourth down and fifteen from your own twenty five. Blindfold the receiving team. Hey guys, you got eleven guys out there. Seven of them have to be blindfolded. Pick your seven. <laughs> Pick your seven. Like, I mean, it's it's an absolutely insanely stupid idea. Say it's, it's it's dumb. So you I, just would continue
0: the way it is right now. Yeah, or So you get fired up when you see the onside kick uh, getting ready to happen.
1: Yeah, or 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 change the change the rule how many guys you can have on one side. You know now now then it becomes a safety issue. Well, we can't have that. You know, we can't have seven guys on one side. You know, they split them in half, 50-50, whatever. You know, it used to be different than that, but um but the bottom line is figure it out. You know, be creative. Figure figure out a way to get that done. I, but just to give the ball, just to say, hey, we scored. We kicked the extra point. Now we go back, and now we get the ball again. Like it, it, uh, it it makes, it makes zero. I, I,
0: I think I think you'll you'll find that people love the idea. And, and I think
1: I think that idea is almost as stupid as challenging the pass interference calls and then never actually letting anybody challenge the pass interference calls and having that thing become the unmitigated disaster it is and then scrap piling the whole thing after one, you know, trial year. Yeah, that that pass interference rule never never felt right to me. Although, you know it did feel
0: right to me. I'd like the idea of this sky judge where you have this this eye in the sky to help out with replay because what have we learned about replay over the last couple of years is that even with all kinds of technology involved and 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 extra eyes looking at it mm-hmm. they still can't get these calls right there's still no feeling of consistency for all of us football fans who watch every every week so if if this is yet another way to to truly get it right then I don't understand why the NFL's tabled that uh, that 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 rule change.
1: Um, yeah, that is a uh, like to truly get it right here. the The point being, you know, my point has always been this: when it comes to replay, you never get it right anyway. Right, I mean, like, how many times is it wrong? How many times do you look at it and go, "Now that's not, like, I don't like that. That's not wrong. Like, the whole purpose is, hey, w- the reason we, we put instant replay in is to get it right. Correct? Right. How many times are we arguing about the fact that they didn't get it right? How many times the NFL have to come out and apologize for not getting it right? A bunch, right? Yeah. Don't they? So why the hell do we have it? Honestly. What, what did it? Did it? I mean. Well,
0: okay, yeah, okay. You're see, folks, you got to understand. Mark, Mark is is as old I'm school anti, as they get. I'm
1: anti replay. You're
0: anti replay. You you yeah. just soon go back to. Well, you know, human error is part of the charm of the game. No, no, yes, because because these games, there's so few of them. They matter so much, and no matter how much you may say replay isn't perfect the fact is is that at least it still gives the possibility of of your team winning a game or avoiding a loss because of the technology to go back and look and and correct a wrong
1: unless you don't have a challenge flag left well because then we don't I'm not saying I'm not then we don't care then we don't care about getting it if you don't have a challenge flag left then we don't care about getting it right
0: like which one is it? I'm not saying which one I'm not is it? I'm not saying that the system is perfect but I'd rather have a flawed system than no system at all.
1: <laughs> well, a no system at all is a flawed system. So you got a system. <laughs> well, if you have if you have no system,
0: no I mean, here here's what would happen. The replay goes away and and in the initial Days of no replay, people will be like, hey, this is the way the game was intended to be. It's, you know, human, human error is a part of it. And that yeah. will last right up until that first Sunday that your team loses when a play that should have been ruled a fumble wasn't. And your team ends up losing because of it. And everybody who watches the, re- the replays are still going to be shown. Right. I mean the, the you you know, you you guys in T V, you're gonna continue to show the replay. Mm-hmm. We are gonna get the benefit of all of these replays. And if it's clearly, hey, wait a minute, <laughs> that was a fumble and it's it can't be it can't be uh, reviewed and, and overturned, people are gonna be pissed. Yeah. People yep. are gonna be pissed. They, you're not gonna they... hear people on Monday morning saying well, my favorite football team lost yesterday on a terrible call that replay would have been reviewed. But gosh darn it, hey, they're human too; they make mistakes. I'm okay with that. Come on,
1: yeah, no, you're Come 100 right, on, Mark. Mark the, stop the, being so naive. The, well, I'm not being naive. I'm just telling you the whole system. The whole system stinks, and if you're going to revamp it, revamp it. Like I'm, I'm okay with the sky judge. I'm okay with 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 saying. All right, we're going to call the game the way we're going to call the game, right? And we're going to we're going to let our officials, you know, dominate the game and be in charge of the game, and you know, and and there, unless there's something egregious that we and we'll look at we'll look at every call that happens, and if there's something egregious, we'll stop the game, and we'll correct it. If not, we'll just continue to play on. I, I, don't, I don't understand. I don't understand why that's so hard, Mike. I don't understand. I don't understand. Like I don't understand the challenge flags. I don't understand the, the, all that. If you want to get it right, let's get it right all the time. And let's have somebody. Let's have you know a group of people in, kind of eye on the sky, like like we've talked about. That they decided not to do. Let's have a couple people looking at every play because it doesn't take you. I mean, if you're huddling, you're you're watching. There's how many plays a game that are that are egregious or that have to be stopped and looked at. You know, seriously, maybe a couple a quarter. Right. Like I don't understand. I don't understand. You know, and the histrionics of going to the sideline and looking at the tablet and all the garbage, like you know, and I understand that that's an ad. You know, that's that's not about that's not about integrity of the game or getting it right. That's about selling advertising, right? With the Microsoft Surface stuff, like that, that's again, that's another ridiculous thing that we do. But I get that. You know, we got to pay salaries and we got to make money. I get all that stuff. But the bottom line is, if we're gonna revamp it, let's revamp it and let's do it the right way. Like, if it's, if it's wrong, then it's wrong. And if it needs to be overturned, it should be overturned, whether or not you have a challenge flag. It shouldn't come to that. That's true. That's true. Like it, that's true. It, so the, the, that's the part I have. And that's why I always say, let just scrap it until you guys are willing to do it the right way. Like, the one thing that drives me crazy, it drove me crazy as a player, Mike. And it drives me crazy as an analyst and a football fan. When you know a catch, when you know it wasn't caught, and we as an offense scramble up there before the opposing coaches can get a good look at it and try to snap the ball and waste it down. We throw it down away. when We're starting that series at second down and 10 as an offense, and you're just trying to keep the ball in your hand. And they're scrambling to try whether they should, you know, challenge flag it or not. And that looks like, like to me, I always say it looks like 11 clowns jumping out of a clown car. Like it's, it it, it takes away from the integrity of what we're doing as, as a league. I think it's, I think it's ridiculous. So if we're going to do it, let's do it the right way. Let's make sure we get as many of these things right as possible. Let's make sure that if, it, you know, if... If the coach doesn't have a challenge, something egregious doesn't go away just because ah he was out of challenges. Tough luck. That's too bad. And and let's try to get it as right as possible. I don't understand why that's such a foreign or hard concept.
0: I guess this is where we differ. You you look at a flawed system that might as well be f- scrapped. I look at it as the intention of it is good and necessary. Let's take a flawed system and make it better. So
1: yeah, well, that's, I mean that's, I'm a- that's how we differ. Well, I'm okay with making a flawed system. I'm, I'm okay with making it better. I'm just saying, if you're not going to make it better, if you're not, if you continue to do things like, ah, you know, we're not going to go with this sky judge because it's going to cost us money. We're going to have to have, you know, at least what every week there's, there's 16 games going on, so we're going to probably have to employ 32 more officials, and that's going to cost it really. You make 15 billion dollars a year, <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, heaven forbid. Well, we got to travel. I mean, we got to travel. You know, these other, these two more officials—they've got to travel there. Come on, you're the NFL, and you know, and and you make decisions. I again, that's why I get. I that's why I just get frustrated with the whole thing. So anyhow, that's just kind of where I stand on instant replay in general. So, and I'm not budging, Mike. I'm going to be stubborn on this. All right, Mark.
0: Time now for uh, question mark where we. Get to hear from the great listeners uh, for a chance to win a great prize. Yeah. Love it. Well, I mean, shoot. Give me some, give you ready? Me some questions. Yeah, All absolutely. right. Here we go. All right. <clears throat> this one uh, comes in from uh, Danny in Denver, <laughs> who says, uh, do you believe in uh, Drew Locke? Do you worry about a sophomore slump?
1: Um, do I believe in, I you know, two separate questions. Do I believe in Drew Locke? Absolutely, I believe in Drew Locke. I love the intangibles. I love what I saw. I love the enthusiasm, um, just the arm talent. I love a lot of the things I saw from Drew Locke in regards to when things broke down, his ability to make a play with his arm, third down conversions. There were a lot of things to like about Drew Locke and the way he led that offense. Do I worry about a sophomore slump? Absolutely, I worry about a sophomore slump. Um, and mostly because, well, there's, there's several reasons when you talk to defense coordinators around the league and they're playing a young quarterback that they don't have a book on, they don't have a lot of film on. One of the things they do is, is they'll tell you point blank, we're going to play pretty vanilla. We're going to, we're going to see if this guy can, you know, to use a Hank strand, matriculate the ball down the football field. Um, we're going to give him the underneath stuff. We're going to give him some completions. And we're just going to see what he can do. Because the one thing we don't want to do is be ultra-aggressive and have him athletically move out of the way and throw one 78 yards for a touchdown, and then everybody get excited. So they basically go with the kind of – they go with the game plan. And this is most coordinators I talk to that are facing a young quarterback. They go with the, let's make them earn this through, you know, four, five, six yards, seven yards, eight yards at a time. And so – as they tend to get a book on a player, then they'll be like, "All right, here are the things he doesn't do well. You know, he doesn't he doesn't throw well when he's drifting to his left. Whatever. So we're gonna bring we're gonna bring you know from a formation standpoint, we're gonna bring a bunch of um, you know a bunch of blitzes from our left hand defensive left hand side, the right hand side of the offense, and force him to escape left." and see if we can create some errant throws that way. So, you know, there'll be some game plan adjustment things. The other part that I worry about, and I know everybody gets all, you know, there are panties in a wad over, hey, all the talent that John Elway drafted, you know, two wide receivers first and second round, and another tight end that can really run, and this, that, and the other. You know, you're counting on young players, and, you know, we used to have a a saying when I played, um, young guys get you fired. Um, you're counting on young players without an off season, without time to, you know, to go out through the OTAs and the mini camps and all that stuff to come in and be difference makers with. Oh, by the way, a brand new offense with an offensive coordinator um, and, you know, and a bunch of new players on offense. Uh, how many different offense you've got your your center, your right guard and effectively your right tackle. Three fifths of your offensive line are going to be new because Juwan James played 60 snaps last year. Um, so you've got a whole right side of your offense that are going to be brand new players, anchored by a rookie center, um, with a rookie wide receiver that's going to be counted on to produce, a second year tight end, a rookie tight end, oh, and a rookie slot receiver that's going to be counted on to produce. Like there's and a brand new offense. Yeah, am I worried? Absolutely, I'm worried. I think with good reason. Without any practice, so. You know, I mean, it's going to take time to figure out exactly what you are, what your identity is, what your players can do and can't do. And you know where you're going to find that out? You're going to find that out during the games the first six, eight weeks. Like, you could start this season at two and six and be done after eight weeks just trying to figure out what you are. I don't think that's going to happen, but it certainly has the capability of happening.
0: This question comes in from at Harmon Bruno 11. Stink. toughest D lineman you ever
1: played against? Uh, you know, it's, I mean, that's a, that's a, there's a big, that's a big group of, of, <laughs> of guys because, you know, I played against Lawrence Taylor and I played against Reggie White and I played against Jerome Brown and I played against, um, you know, Warren Sapp and I played against John Randall. Um, I played a lot against a lot of guys that, you know, that were great Cortez Kennedy. Um, and so, you know, every guy has different skill sets um that make that guy, you know, hard to contend with. Um, you know, there's a couple of guys that gave me fits in pass pro. Um, um a guy like like Dennis Bird was his he was so good with his hands. Um he was such a good player. Phil Hansen from the Buffalo Bills, he was he was a skinny little dude. Um, but he was so good with his hands, and he was so good at not giving you a target to punch. Um, a guy by the name of Pierce Holt back in his San Francisco days that I struggled with because uh, he was so good you know, with his hands, and, and really, like he was, he just was a good player that way. Um, John Perella for the Chargers back in the day used to give me fits in run blocking because there were very few guys I couldn't take off the ball um, that I couldn't create you know that couldn't create movement on um from a run blocking standpoint and parella was one of the guys that i just had fits with moving him off the ball um and he wasn't he wasn't a great pass rusher by any stretch of the imagination but he was a really damn good football player so most of the guys that i struggle with uh i would i would tell you most of those guys aren't aren't the household name guys like i I've always played well against Cortez Kennedy or even Warren Sapp and some of those guys um but it was it was those other guys you know that that the majority of people don't have never heard of that um uh, that gave me fits because of a unique skill set that they had and and usually it was guys that like I said that would never let you get your hands on them um and and those are the guys to me that were the toughest for me to block
0: one more for you and and you and I are both big baseball fans and you, of course, uh, your uh-huh. son, a, a former and hopefully future, again, uh, big league pitcher. But um, uh, this one comes in from Antman5163, who asks, Mark, what do you feel about the MLB owners wanting players to take a pay cut?
1: Well, I, you know, I think that it's right out of, right out of, you and I have talked about this a bunch, Mike, it's right out of the owner's playbook, right, is Page one. Is, page one is create a narrative to make the players look like greedy bastards, yep. right? <laughs> yep. And and it it drives me crazy in that I look at it from this standpoint is, one, they've already missed part of the season. So they already agreed in March to take a prorated portion of their salary. Now you've agreed to that, and then you come back and say, hey, yeah, that prorated portion of your salary that's part of your contract for playing games what we're going to need you to do now is to take that and cut it in half again so we're going to need you to play for a quarter on the dollar of the contract that you negotiated through collective bargaining and or you know and and that's off of 50 percent of you know 50 percent of of uh revenue but we're not going to open our books and show you. This is just a number that we came up with. Now, you you tell me in what, you know, what bizarro world that that is even remotely, um, remotely acceptable. Well,
0: yes, I, I completely agree with you. Right. If the owners are wanting a 50-50 split, you got to open up the books. I, I completely agree there. But I think the owners are well within their rights to come back and say look I, I know we negotiated this or negotiated that or it's part of the CBA but something tells me stink there's no part of that CBA that has a pandemic clause in it all right this is mm-hmm. this is all this is a, this is a, this is a whole different thing here and i think right. that while everybody else is adjusting on the fly Major League Baseball and Major League Baseball players need to adjust on the fly as well and understand that just because you you collectively bargained something or may have agreed to something two months ago, a lot changes in two months, as we found out around here.
1: Right. Well, I mean, and here's, you know, here's where we're going to find out. Like, okay, so, hey, players, we want you to take a quarter on the dollar, but we're not going to open up our books as owners. Um, and from a player's perspective, then I'll tell you what. You know, uh, baseball owners, you guys go out and play, and and see how your TV contracts go. I mean, it, this is the hey, listen, this is why this is why fans um, have you know have always you know sided with owners because owners put out a narrative out there that makes players look bad. We've seen it with this Dak Prescott yep. negotiation for three months or yeah, four this, months and this now. by
0: the way, this playbook is for for all owners oh, all sports <laughs> you
1: know right. it's page
0: 1 on all owners all sports playbook oh,
1: right here's what we're going to do make our make our players look like greedy you know turds and um and have the uh you know have the fans turn their backs on them um and and try to get them to play based on on pressuring the players so like i i i totally understand that it's unique times mike but if you're going to ask for unique measures on those unique times Then you're going to have to open up everything, every, every scrap of revenue coming in. And you're going to have to show us exactly what that revenue is. Oh, by the way, I need to know what you're making as an owner. How much are you taking? Right. Does that like I need to know all that stuff before I'm going to agree to any 50 50 revenue split. And then, oh, by the way, any new revenue comes in. Why you guys are. Like why you guys? Why we're playing? Why we're out there? Because you know people would say, well, what risk are the players taking? You know, the players have got to give something up. Well, the the, the players are risking potential injury for a, a portion, a small smaller portion of their salary. They're the only ones that take it, that are taking the real health risk of you know of coronavirus and all that. So, and, and as are the coaches. So, I would just you know I would just say that I don't like. I automatically side with the players because I'm a former player. And then I automatically am leery of the owners when they say, "Oh guys, you know, we're like we're going to go broke if you guys don't, you know, if you guys don't take the majority of of hit on on the salary aspect." So, I like open up your books and show everybody. But they won't do that because they don't want to show like a lot of times you know, and this is, this goes from the NFL playbook is like, you can show a limited profit, like you're not making any profit and you know, you're, 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 you're paying your son a $20 million salary and your daughter a 10 million or $20 million salary and your wife a $15 million salary. And that, and, and you can show, Hey, Hey, we're not making any money. <laughs> we're, you know, we're <laughs> and, poor. <laughs> right. We're, we're making zero. Like there's a reason that billionaires are billionaires, right? There's a reason that, uh, that people that make a boatload of money don't want to open up their taxes. Right. <laughs> because because, um, uh, It's the way they are able to do things is shady. And so I would just say, I would just say from the player standpoint, I I totally understand. And I totally support the players for saying, yeah, I don't trust your 50-50 revenue split, Maloney. All right. Well, let's, uh, you know, that
0: was a good question. Good debate. Good good conversation. It's definitely timely. And it does cross over into football as well. So let's give the um, sweet sweat uh, gift to Anthony uh, at Antman5163.
1: Okay, I am I am on that. I will uh, I will follow and DM Anthony, and uh, and we will get that done, and we'll get you out of gift package. Uh, so, all right, man. Call that a wrap, buddy. That's good. All right, for everybody that uh, is involved with the Stinkin' Truth Podcast, we thank you so much. Uh, for our great friends over at Sweet Sweat, check them out at sweetsweat.com. For Mike, myself, for Ben, for Scott, we will be back with you guys later on. Thank you so much.